0: How's it going?
1: <sighs> well, I've been having a really good day, although now I'm, I'm starting to get tired because I've just had a bunch of meetings in a row. It's catching up with me, but I'm happy to be here with your shining face.
0: Oh, well, I'm happy you're here with my shining face. You have a shining face too.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I shined it just this morning. I'm chilling. I just ate a, a bowl of ice cream, that was delicious. My BF took a couple days off, so we're getting some extra hangout time. And once we record this, then that'll be the end of my meetings for today. And then I'll just chill.
0: You're going to chill.
1: Yeah. And that'll be great. How are you, Mackle?
0: I'm great. I mean, Skeeter is a bit of a nervous duckling because of all the thunder and lightning. Mm-hmm. Aww. Yeah, he's been shivering with fear. And well, he's been recently uh, crawling under the bed and hiding under the bed. Mm-hmm. which he can stand under we've discovered he can oh like stand. he's so
1: tiny that he doesn't even have to lay down under the bed he can just stand under there he
0: has to lay down to get under the lip of the bed all right but he can just stand under the bed you know right
1: he could live there happily he Could live
0: there and i'm a little jealous
1: <laughs> yeah he has the womb to crawl into that you've always wished for I know, I know. I guess your house does have a crawl space. That's really a you problem.
0: We do have a crawl space, and I actually enjoy being down there quite a bit.
1: Yeah, you would.
0: What else is going on? I'm going to take a little vacation. Ooh. The grunge girl. Going on
1: vacation. Going to the cape. Going to the cape. Going to the cape. The cape is so weird. The cape is just like a... I don't know. I don't know why. what's so weird to me about it, I guess. People just... Before I went to the Cape for the first time, I always heard people talking about going to the Cape. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what do you do when you go to the Cape? But it's like, you just be there on the Cape. Yeah, there's n- kind of, yeah. nothing that different about it from anywhere else.
0: People have all sorts of weird ideas about what going to the Cape means. I've been going to the Cape since I was a young little immigrant Russian Jew kid.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And and people think the Cape is like like small. It's It's big. There's like lots of towns. It's like many miles long, you know?
1: Yeah, it's like a whole fucking region.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like a whole fucking region. It has all the things that anyone could want in a region, you know? It's got fancy stuff. It's got not fancy stuff. Yeah. What it has that other places don't have is beaches and shit.
1: Right. But, Rhoda, I have beaches all around me right now. That's what I think weirds me out about the Cape. It's like, I can go to a beach anytime.
0: Well, if I lived in Rhode Island, I would go to Rhode Island beaches. Actually... When I moved to Rhode Island and spent time in Rhode Island, I get the same kind of like vibes. In oh, Rhode interesting. Island as I get going to the Cape. I actually asked Sam about that, and he's like, yeah, there's like historical reasons for that. Cause you had Plymouth Colony, and then you had the Boston Colony, and the Boston Colony was like a little bit more uptight than the Plymouth people. Right. There's just, like, weird religious political reasons why, like, everyone is chilled and relaxed and kind of doesn't give a fuck as much in southeastern Massachusetts slash Rhode Island, Cape Cod, than, like, they do in the rest of uh, Massachusetts.
1: I always forget that I'm, like, right next to the ocean (laughs) until, like, and I just go about my day feeling like I'm as inland as I was when I lived in Texas, but then occasionally you just, like, see a seagull in a parking lot and you're like oh yeah must be close to the ocean i forgot about that
0: i think rhode island is great it's got ocean vibes you don't necessarily it is the ocean state
1: yes that's true
0: and it has the ocean state job lot in it which is a great place it's okay i love the vibe i also love pine barren you know i love a piney sandy forest with scrub pines
1: today we return for part two of our tall tale yes about Ashmedai, the king of the Shadim. What do you recall about what happened last time, Michael?
0: Okay. So King Solomon wants to build his temple. Mm Mm-hmm. But he knows... God's
1: temple. Well, right. Right. God's temple. Debatably.
0: Well, it's, well, you know, it's God's temple. But he's not allowed to use, like, metal implements. And so he gets the advice from the elders... That he needs Mm -hmm. to get the Shamir. He needs to get the magical stone carving worm. Right. Which has carved many a thing, but also it's carved the breastplate of the priest, the Mm Ephod. Ephod. So he tortures a male and a female demon for some reason. Right. Thinking that these two demons will like reveal where to find the Shamir. I don't know what, where that like logical train of thought comes from. They suggest to him that they need to go talk to Ashmedai, and they tell him Ashmedai, the king of the demons, is on a certain mountain where he has a pit of water that is sealed with his magical seal that he goes and occasionally takes sips from between his daily trip to heaven to the Beit Din up in heaven to study Torah. In between that trip down to the earthly Beit Din to study Torah during the night. And then Solomon sends his Lancelot. What's his name? What's Lancelot? Yeah, Benyahu. He sends Benyahu out to figure out how to capture this demon. And Benyahu drains the pit that was sealed magically by like going into it from the bottom and draining mm-hmm. it out and plugging it and then drilling in from the top, filling it with wine. So that Ashmedai would drink the wine, get drunk, then he would bind him with magical chains with God's name on it. So Ashmedai wouldn't break out because it has God's name and Ashmedai is a pious Jew demon. So he's not going to like destroy something with the name of God. And then he drags Ashmedai back to Jerusalem. And while he's dragging, Ashmedai has lots of fun adventures his body is flailing back and forth. He knocks over a house.
1: He avoids knocking over a house. Right, because of a sweet old lady. Because
0: of a sweet old lady. He helps some people find their way back to like a road who are like a little lost for various reasons. And he's also like kind of enjoying sightseeing as he's being dragged.
1: Yes, so okay, that, That's where great. We're wow, you remembered it really accurately. <laughs> well,
0: you know, I get to edit the episode, so.
1: All right, true, I guess. You have, you have the opportunity to review. So all of that shit has happened. And so our tale picks up. When Ashmedai arrived there in Jerusalem, they did not bring him before Solomon until three days had passed. On the first day, he said to them, why doesn't the king want me to come to him? And they said to him, he drank too much and was overcome by drink. Ashmedai took a brick and placed it on top of another brick. The servants came and told Solomon about this. Solomon interpreted his action and said to them, this is what he said to you by putting a brick on top of another brick. Return and give the king more to drink. (laughs) The following day, Ashmedai said to him, and why doesn't the king want me to come to him today? And they said he ate too much and was overcome by food. Ashmedai took the brick off the other brick and placed it on the ground. The servants came to Solomon and told them what Ashmedai had done. And he interpreted Ashmedai's actions and said to him, this is what he said to you by taking the brick off the other brick. Take his food away from him. And at the end of three days, Ashmedai came before Solomon. This is probably Uh, the most confusing part of this whole wackadoo story to me.
0: I mean, the motive makes sense. I understand the actions of King Solomon, sort of. On the one hand, he wants to get the Shamir. On Mm -hmm. the other hand, he's just a king who wants to have a good time.
1: Right. He just wants to party. Kings just want to have fun.
0: So, that all makes sense to me. Like, I can see how someone would do this. He's, like, close to getting what he wants. We think. He thinks. Right. I just want to get drunk. I'm just going to tell my servants this means that I want a day off. My right. question is, why is it included in the story? You know what I mean? Right. That's yeah. The that's the thing what, that's weird. That's
1: part of what's confusing. Also, like, why do the bricks mean that? And also, like, why is Solomon... Is Solomon, like, delaying saying Ashma intentionally? Like... Oh, I'm going to, like, play power games with him. I'm going to, like, leave him in the waiting room for three days, you know, just to, like, let him know who's boss. But then if he's letting him know who's boss, why is he telling his servants to, like, follow the metaphors that Ashmedai is communicating via brick laying?
0: I agree. It's weird. Very strange.
1: Anyway, at the end of three days, Ashmedai came before Solomon. Ashmedai took a reed and measured out four cubits and threw it before him. And he said to Solomon, See, when Solomon dies, he'll have nothing in the world except for the four cubits of his grave. Now you have conquered the entire world, and yet you are not satisfied until you also conquered me. Solomon said to him, I need nothing from you. I want to build a temple, and I need the Shemir for this. Ashmedai said to him, The Shemir was not given to me, but it was given to the angelic minister of the sea. And he gives it only to the wild rooster which is also known as the Dukhifat, whom he trusts by the force of his oath to return it. And what does the wild rooster do with it? He brings it to the mountains, which are not fit for habitation, and he places the Shamir on a craggy rock, and the mountain splits. And he takes and brings the seeds of trees and throws them there, and it becomes fit for habitation. And this is why we interpret the word Dukhifat as cutter of mountains. So basically this last part is because the Aramaic translation of this word du is nagar tura," which means cutter of mountains. And this whole drash is just explaining why did we translate the word du into this Aramaic phrase. So basically Ashmanai comes with Solomon. He's like, first of all, you're a bitch you're immortal and you're gonna have nothing when you die so why are you trying to play power games with me and Solomon's like I don't need anything from you except for this one thing that I need from you
0: yeah yeah
1: and then what we learn about the location of the rooster is that it's given to the angelic minister of the sea who has a binding contract with the wild rooster yes and the wild rooster, what it does is it takes the Shamir to mountains, mountainous areas, to crack open the mountains and turn them into valleys, which it then sows with trees in order to make them habitable. Basically terraforms the earth using the Shamir.
0: All right, okay, okay. So we have who of the sea?
1: The angelic minister of the sea. Basically, chief executive angel in charge of the ocean.
0: Okay, and this, okay, okay. So we have an angel... That's fine. What about this rooster? What what's the deal with the rooster?
1: The rooster will continue to come up as the story goes on. Okay. I don't know what I mean, I think a big part of why this is in here is just to explain this Aramaic translation. Yeah. yeah like yeah. why these two words are equivalent to each other. So what I think is happening is that basically we have this word duhifat, which we know means wild rooster, and then We have it translated in Aramaic as nagar tura, which means the carver of the mountains. And that's our problem that the drash is trying to deal with, is why why would we ever call the rooster a mountain carver? Mm -hmm. That makes no sense. And this drash is the answer, is because the rooster actually has a contract with the angel of the sea to terraform uninhabitable mountainous areas.
0: That's very interesting. I wonder why... The relationship between the angel of the sea and the rooster. I can see a rooster, like it picks at the ground, you know, it kind of destroys things in the yard. I can see how if you had a really big rooster, maybe you'd be able to make a valley, you know? Maybe there's Mm -hmm. something about that. Kind of mythological and cool about like, whoa, how's that valley made? Well, it's like a giant rooster just scratching at the ground. But the connection to the sea, I think that's very mysterious.
1: Right. And why... Yeah, why did the angel contract this particular creature to be the Carver of Mountains? Couldn't it have just been the Shamir itself? Is it because the rooster is particularly good at transporting the Shamir, maybe?
0: IDK. Who's to say?
1: Who is to say? Not I, said the fly. Anyway, so we learn about this contract between the angel and the rooster. Now we know where the Shamir is. So they investigated, and they found the nest of a wild rooster in which were the chicks. And he covered its nest with translucent glass. And when the rooster came and wanted to enter the nest, it was unable to do so. And so it brought the Shamir and placed it on top to crack the glass. Solomon's servant threw a clump of dirt at the rooster and knocked over the shamir. And the man took it, and the wild rooster went and died over the fact that it had not kept its oath by not returning the shamir. Oh. I know. So, first, they put basically an an invisible bubble over the nest of the wild rooster to trick it into using the shamir. Outside of the terms of its contract, which are to use the Shamir for terraforming only. And then they throw a clump of dirt at the Shamir to knock it away. And then they steal it, resulting in the death of the wild rooster because it's so upset that it didn't keep its oath. Yet another reason Solomon sucks. Yet another war crime (laughs) Solomon is committing in this long story of Solomonic war crimes.
0: I just looked up a picture of the Shamir. Yeah. It is scary looking. At least Ebhard Werner Hoppel's um
1: Oh yeah, his drawing. his his woodcut of the Shamir.
0: Yeah, it's pretty scary.
1: Yeah. It's very Dune. Yeah, totally,
0: totally Dune.
1: Totally I wonder Dune. if Frank Herbert was inspired by the Shamir when oh, he wrote interesting. Dune. Yeah. I feel like he must be. So they get the Shamir. This is the end of the Shamir saga. There's more to this story, but the Shamir is, is gotten. Problem solved. Solomon can build a temple, he doesn't even give a second thought for all of his war crimes because he's the worst, and never mind the trail of carnage which has followed this quest. I have heard this interpretation, right, that we didn't use metal on the blocks of the temple because iron is an instrument of war, usually, and so we didn't want the war to come in contact with the holy place. That doesn't hold up with this story because this story is filled with carnage. And if that led up to the creation of the temple, uh, then I would say the stone is, is equally tainted by the collateral damage. So, continuing on. Later, Benyahu said to Ashmedai, what was the reason, when you saw that blind man who was lost on the road, that you brought him to the correct road? Ashmedai said, they proclaim about him in heaven that he is a completely righteous man, and anyone who does good for him shall enter the world to come. Oh, I know. And we're going to explain all of the sightseeings. They all have their own little explanation. So he helped the blind man because he got big mitzvah points for it so that he could get into the world to come. So we've already learned last week that demons can be chasidim, And now we've learned that they can make it into the world to come. Or at least they think they can. Then Benyahu asked, What was the reason when you saw the drunk man who was lost on the road that you brought him to the correct road? Ashmed, I said... They proclaim about him in heaven that he is completely wicked, and I did good for his soul so that it will use up his reward in this world, and he won't have any reward in the world to come. What? So him I helped onto the right road to fuck with him, and to make sure he used up his uh, his tiny allotment of celestial goodwill so that he'll have nothing left after he dies.
0: He being the, the drunk man.
1: The drunkard, Yeah.
0: So it's like, if the drunk person is evil and experiences good things, then that somehow factors into their afterlife experience.
1: Yeah, he has like a, he has a small sort of balance of goodness that he can draw on throughout his life, both his corporeal life and his afterlife. And... Ashmadai is trying to put him into overdraft
0: oh wow okay this is a very silly demon a very
1: silly I demon. know he seems to just just be like uh chaotic neutral yeah totally. he's like I do some good stuff I do some bad stuff I like fuck with some people I help some people I don't know how long I've got left and I'm gonna get real weird with it
0: I think we've all had friends like this
1: so then Binyahu asked what is the reason that when you saw the joy of the wedding you cried Ashmerai said, I know that that man will die within 30 days, and his wife is required to wait for the husband's brother to reach the age of 13 years so she can be released through chalitza. So basically, he cried because the husband's going to die, and then the wife is going to have to be unmarried and celibate for a bunch of years until her husband's brother is old enough to release her from the obligation of Leveret marriage.
0: Very interesting. I wonder if that's still an issue nowadays. Yeah. I know there's some ceremonial way that everyone gets around Leveret marriage, right? hmm Yeah. And I think, did we do an episode about that? Maybe we haven't.
1: I th- we've done a couple episodes about Khalitsa and the Yavam.
0: Yeah, I just wonder now, like, if you're in that situation, you marry someone who's like 25, 30, whatever, but their brother is like two. And right. They die. Yeah. Mm. Tough situation. I'm sure the rabbis have a loophole to get out of it, though.
1: Yeah. I don't know what the practice is today, but I bet there's we let someone else do it. So that's one of the sightseeing's explained. Finally, he says, "Not finally, actually, there's more after this." Uh, what is the reason that when you heard the man say to the shoemaker, "Make me shoes that will last for seven years," you laughed? Ashman, I said, that man doesn't have seven days to live. Does he need shoes that will last for seven years? This is one, this feels like straight out of Fiddler on the Roof.
0: <sighs> this is obviously like a funny story that they're telling. Yeah. You first hear about Ashmadai and his reactions like, oh, it's so sweet and positive, or like, oh, wow. And then you hear the explanation, he's like, oh, he's a, he's a dick.
1: Yeah. Everyone in this story is like a little bad, a little good.
0: This is this th- this is Seinfeld. This is right here. This is what Seinfeld is.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think about which one of these sightseeings is like the most Seinfeld. I have to say this is a total Seinfeld aside. I recently watched all of Seinfeld to finally become a full Jew and become culturally literate in the text of our people. The part of Seinfeld that most bothered me is when they unceremoniously uh, spoilers for Seinfeld unceremoniously kill off Susan in one of the later series, George Costanza's wife.
0: Oh, okay, okay,
1: okay. They just like kill. They just kill her off, and they play it like anything else in the show, which is that like nothing matters. But it's really weird to me because they, up until that point, she was like a full participant in the show. It would be like, what if they just killed off Elaine and never mentioned it again? It's to me the weirdest part of Seinfeld. Right in, if you agree. Anyway, so we have the fucking. Why does he need shoes that will last seven years? Beniyahu asked, what's the reason that when you saw the sorcerer performing magic, you laughed? Ashmed, I said, because he was sitting on top of the king's treasury. And so let him use his magic to know what's buried underneath him. Basically, like, if you're so fucking magical, you should be able to get the treasure underneath you. So this is how I know you're a fraud is because <laughs> you're sitting on top of a huge pile of treasure pretending that you can divine the future. So this has all just been like Benyahu and Ashmedai sort of like behind the curtain shop talk while they're waiting for the whole Solomon situation to be resolved. Yeah, yeah. Which is very funny and also very funny that it's placed here just like interlude a few scenes with Ashmedai. So Solomon kept Ashmedai until he was done building the temple. One day he stood with Ashmedai alone and he said, it is written for him like the lofty horns of the wild ox, which is numbers four, eight. Uh, 24-8. And the sages say when they explain this verse, like the lofty horns, these are the ministering angels, and the wild ox, these are the demons. In what ways are you greater than us? Why does this verse praise your abilities and powers over those of human beings? Basically, what's so great about demons? Rashman says, take the chain engraved with God's name off me, and give me the ring with God's name engraved on it, and I will show you my strength. Solomon took the chain off him and gave him his ring, and Ashmedai swallowed the ring and grew until he placed one wing in the heavens and one wing in the earth, and he threw Solomon a distance of four hundred parsings. And with regard to that moment, Solomon said, What profit is there for a person through all his toil under the sun? Ecclesiastes one, three, which is truly just a like ba pa,, oh <laughs> basically like God. I build you your toil I build your temple and this is what you do to me. Oh, my God. So, that's the fucking punchline of that part, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, demons have wings. We've learned that. That's kind of interesting.
1: Yes. And also, Ashmedai can grow to enormous sizes by swallowing a ring with God's name on it and throw Solomon uh, across the earth. And demons are better than humans in some ways. And Solomon has a very seinfeldian response to the whole situation
0: yeah okay very interesting yeah this is uh, this i think it's cool that this is funny
1: yeah and it's like such a we oftentimes have humor in the talmud but rarely do we have such a long story that seems to be just one big joke and there's more after this. There's more funny shit after this, which maybe I'll cover in a future week. But like, there's more adventures of, of Solomon and Ashmedai.
0: I feel like this could be a Disney movie.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking it's very Tom and Jerry-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> More like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck.
0: It could be kind of Shreky even too, you know?
1: <laughs> right, but which one is Donkey and which one is Shrek is the question. So that's all I brought from this comedic tale for today is just this fucking hilarious shit about everything that went on with Ashmedai. I mean, I really like all of this. Like, all of it is so, um, feels really disconnected from the biblical narrative. Like, we would never have in the Bible a rooster who comes home to its babies and there's a translucent glass bubble put over them. So it has to open the bubble with a magical worm.
0: This is what we need, I feel. Yeah,
1: this is what Judaism's all about. This is the kind of content we get because the writers are on strike. (sighs) Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: funny. That's, well, it's not funny.
1: I saw a tweet the other day that was like, thank God for the writers' strike saving us from the inevitable Saturday Night Live Barbenheimer skit.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Are you going to go out and see those movies?
1: Probably not. I mean, I want to see the Barbie movie, but... I haven't seen a movie in the theater in so long. It's so expensive to see a movie in the theater.
0: Yeah, I could get
1: a whole platter of Panda Express for that price.
0: I know, I know. You really can't beat a platter of Panda Express. You
1: really fucking can't.
0: Ugh, ugh. Now I want some some General Tao's chicken, you know? Ugh.
1: Yeah, I'm a teriyaki chicken woman myself. Anyway... Thanks for coming along with us on this journey following the antics of the wild rooster and the philosophy of Madai, King of the Demons. Go ahead and register for Fruit Camp Shalmala's Talmud Skills class that's coming up in August. We'll put a link in the description. And, you know, we're working on cool stuff behind the scenes. We release patron episodes pretty much every month. So we'd love for you to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash how are you? And without any further ado, Shabuato.
0: Shabuato. <laughs>